Hey, Jay, welcome. I'll give uh, everybody five minutes uh, uh, for others to join. Hey Amanda, welcome. Uh, just two more, uh, three more minutes. Uh, let other people to join. Okay, I'm going to get started. Uh, good evening, everybody. So today is August the 7th, 2023. And uh, I was going to do this uh, last night. Uh, that's what I usually do on Sunday. Uh, but unfortunately, due to some uh, unforese uh, unexpected situation around the road, uh, I have to push it to today. So, uh, but anyway, it's all good uh, because uh, 
the main problem when I was on the road is that the cell phone coverage is very, very hit or miss. And so when there's no good cell phone coverage, the, the, the calling sounds very, very bad. So uh, today, actually, I landed in uh, Lubeck, L-U-B-E-C, Maine, right across the river or the ocean or whatever is uh, Canada. So I'm going to venture into Canada tomorrow. And what surprised me that in this border town called Lubeck, Maine, the cell phone signal is excellent. And uh, and uh, so I'm just going to do a podcast right at the border town uh, in the United, good old United States. So uh, I've been doing, this is the third episode uh, I did for Harvard admission policy the affirmative action admission policy. Uh, it's worth it because uh, there's truly a lot. First of all, this litigation took nine years. It's unheard of. I mean, I guess it's heard of, but it's it's outrageous. For a racially discriminatory policy to last nine years until the U.S. Supreme Court says this is not good. And that itself is a injustice. Okay. So I want to just do three episodes. And this is good too, because, uh, I posted a lot of links in the description of today's episode in which it shows that, uh, the recent news about this Harvard admission policy is that as it turns out, uh, a lot of these prestigious universities, they have this thing called the legacy admission policies. Legacy admission policies means that if your parents or relatives works for the uh, universities, you get preferential treatment. If your parents are major donors of these prestigious universities, you got preferential, uh, prefer- preferential treatment. That's called the legacy admission policy. Uh, one of the USA Today articles is saying the federal government now is investigating whether this legacy admission policy are discriminatory or not. I was like, yeah, that's about that's about the time. So which I'm going to go over uh, t- today. So today is the third episodes on this Harvard admission because there's a lot of uh, interesting things from this legacy admission policy. As you know, I'm from China, and China Chinese are very big on education. China has a pretty decent education system. In some area, actually, I think the Chinese education system is, um, is better than the U.S. education system. Not all of them, but some of them are pretty good. So I'm going to make some comparison. There's no such thing in China. It's called a legacy admission policy. If you got into a prestige college, not on your national college entrance exam scores, but to the fact that your parents works for the universities or because your parents had a major donation made to the universities, that's called a nepotism. nepotism. It's almost like a crime. So guess what? In the U.S., it's actually widely practiced and i will explain why this practice is a racially discriminatory practice all by itself 
So, so before I do that, as usual, I want to do two news. Uh, two news. I want to do some update on that. First thing is this. Actually, this happened in in your neck of the wood, Amanda. There is a California judge in Orange County, a prominent one, who killed his soon-to-be ex-wife. When I read this news, I was laughing my ass off. I have said it many, many times. No guns should be needed when there is a domestic dispute. Okay? I mean, sometimes marriage did not work out. That's normal. That's okay. There should no children should be killed from a marital dispute. But that's what's happening in the U.S. Now this is a famous judge, pretty prominent judge, in Orange County, California. I don't know where you live, Amanda. Killed his soon-to-be ex-wife. Uh, by the way, from, from the news clip I heard, the the couple has an adult son who are living with them. So the son told his father, oh, don't kill me, don't kill me. Something like that. So anyway, I just want to play this a quick clip. It's like a minute or half from YouTube about this, uh, 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 from this, uh, judicial killing of his ex, soon to be ex-wife. Tonight, after decades in the courtroom, a prominent California judge on the other side of the law accused of shooting and killing his own wife. Police say they responded to a 911 call late Thursday at the upscale Anaheim Hills home of Orange County Superior Court Judge Jeffrey Ferguson. Inside, authorities finding his 65-year-old wife shot dead and arresting him on suspicion of murder. Cheryl Ferguson, seen with her husband in photos, posted to Facebook, wishing him a happy birthday. She was soft-spoken, very nice, and I know just... Her son was her pride and joy. Investigators carrying rifles and guns from the home and boxes labeled ammo. Tonight, Ferguson's neighbors in shock. Never in a million years would imagine that, especially a judge. I mean, that's the, the surprising part of it all. Uh, makes you really think about who your neighbors and everything is. We reached out to Judge Ferguson's attorney and have not yet heard back. The judge posted a million-dollar bond on Friday and was released. And the Orange County District Attorney's Office saying he's not yet been charged because it's still to be determined if the DA or the state attorney general will prosecute. Jacqueline Lee, ABC News, New York. Isn't that hilarious? I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> Once again, this guy has a, based on this clip, this guy has a assault weapons, ammunition, Boxes of ammunitions. You see, even a judge is going to use a gun to deal with the domestic issues. So think about how this country is fucked up. So I love it. Okay, the all these prove my point. Our justice system is a complete fucked up. So so that's a that's one piece of news I want to share with you. The second piece of news is this. Of course, you guys, I, you know, I enjoy calling because you have all kinds of characters. So this guy, Dickie, he called himself Whitey Mr. Privilege. Now, I think I know enough about Dickie. I, I, you know, the way he, he, he spoke and all that. He's an okay guy, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with him. But uh, the fact that he named himself Whitey Mr. Privilege is very interesting. Because I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure a lot of white people really, really hate hate this show and uh, as fact uh, jenny was quite upset the other day uh, uh you know 
you know, not feeling comfortable when I use the words like lily white nations and stuff like that. So uh, the good news is this. Jenny actually later listened my entire episode and he, she liked my episode after she listened to it from the beginning. But since, uh, Dickie put out this uh, name called the white tea Mr. Privilege. I want to make a little more comment or clarification. The word white, when I talk about it, is a political term. It has little to do with your skin color. Second, white privilege in my book, in my show, in my framework, in my thinking, is not a social or behavioral thing. It's a governmental thing. It's a governmental privilege. Under the, so basically, white privilege to me, in my book for this show, is a governmental privilege that government people, state actors, enjoy. Under the laws made by, enforced by, and adjudicated by the white majority in a multi-ethnic society. So just imagine you live, all of us live in a multi-ethnic society. The white population is the majority population. They got to make the law, enforce the law, and adjudicate the law. As simple as that. So there is a governmental privilege because how law was made, was enforced, and was adjudicated. So it has nothing to do with the skin color. It has everything to do with how laws treating a multi-ethnic society. All right? So white, again, is a political term. Whitey is a slang. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, I, by the way, I have never used the word whitey in my entire life. In fact, my Jewish lawyer friend tried to trick me to use the word whitey many, many times, but, but he, he, he failed consistently because I just don't enjoy insulting anyone regardless of your skin color. I will debate you with your ideas, but I will, I will, I will never insult a person whatsoever. So in my opinion, actually Dick, Dickie is a kind of a too Dickie to be considered a, a, a white privileged. You know, to be a white privileged, you really have to have the, you, you really have to be situated in a higher class. You have to demonstrate higher intellect than average, okay? And uh, you must have some kind of a nice endowment, you know, being in some physiques. Maybe your brain is better endowed. You have a higher IQ from your gene pool. Of course, you you you, you also want to have a some family wealth, okay? Well, I, I will uh, I will take your call, but let me finish. I'm going to be quick t today. Again, this is my third installment. I'm podcasting from Lubeck, Maine, L-U-B-E-C, right next to to Canada. I'm a Vela. I'm about to be an illegal American in 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 Canada. I'm going to bike into Canada, uh, uh five o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm going to do a frequent trip to cross that bridge into Canada and back work. So I'm going to rise up at five o'clock, cross to Canada, take a round trip on the bicycle, come back to work till 5.30 and go back in again. So, uh, so Diggy is uh, just too Diggy to be considered a white privileged. 
Okay, he can call himself whitey or Mr. Privilege. I know why he says that. He's trying to kind of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, not, you know, he never attended my show for, uh, for my Sunday series. Uh, uh, he's more than welcome to debate me, but, uh, but he will just do these little things that, uh, kind of a protest to my show, but that's okay. I want to clarify that. So, uh, so that's that. So, uh, hang the there. I, I, I will take your call. Okay. I post a lot of links in the description of today's room. Go read it yourself. I'm not going to repeat it too much. It's fascinating. I have said in my past two episodes about Harvard admission, I called it, it's a scheme of a robbing Peter to pay Paul. Harvard as an institution of a white privilege who which benefited from slavery tremendously. Harvard benefited tremendously from slave trade. Harvard also benefited tremendously from the opium trade. Think about it. The West forced the opium trade onto China. Now China is accused of sending fentanyls to the U.S. All right? Now, for Harvard, to rob Peter, aka Asian Americans, to pay Paul, aka African Americans, it's a bad enough, right? But now it turns out this new controversy called the legacy admission policy, meaning if you have a family members, relatives, donors to Harvard, you got preferential treatment. That practice itself is a Depriving so many applicants, white, black, Hispanic, Asians. That itself, that itself is a, in my opinion, a fraudulent scheme. All right. And I'm glad the federal government is investigating that scheme, not just Harvard, all the Ivy League schools. I love it. I love it. Now, so let me come back to this concept. Remember, first you have to remember is this. I have said already, it's called the robbing Peter to pay Paul. So now let's add another piece. It's called robbing Peter to pay Paul while continue robbing Paul. That's what this legacy admission policy is. Okay. It's very smart. Like I always said, white privileges are usually very, very smart. They are very clever. They come up with this ruse. They come up with this trick. They want you to believe they're doing everything possible to help African Americans when in fact they continue to screw racial minorities. That's what they do. I have used this example in the, in the history of the United States. A group of white people want to find a better way to handle the freed blacks after the Civil War. So they told a group of black people, why don't you go back to Africa? We will set up a country called Liberia for you. Over there, you can carry firearms. You can have all the freedoms that white people enjoy here. You can get rid of those indigenous people in Liberia, and you have only your own land, and uh, and uh, you will get better. 
that is a very that practice is very similar to the Harvard admission policy. Okay, you know why? Because while these white people doing that to these Africans,、uh, remember this: some Africans did believe the Liberian experiment. They went back, they conquered the place, they slaughtered the native people, and did did very well. But that does not change the fact that in the U.S., the freed blacks continue to be oppressed. By the same white power, who come up with this Liberian experience? All right, so I have said that. So it's very similar. Just repeat the history. If not repeats itself, it rhymes. So this is the first thing I, I want to first point I want to cover. Again, those、uh, links I posted there, they are all in the news. They're all on YouTube. You can go through it yourself. It takes a time, but it's very enjoyable to read them. Because remember, I always enjoy those、uh, you know criminals who believe they are very smart, they are very clever, they can get away from justice, and they got exposed. This is what's happening to Harvard University, as far as I'm concerned. So this first point I want to make. Second point I want to make: Who got to decide these Ivy League schools anyway? I mean, I have not, I did not Google because I was being busy traveling on the road,、uh, eating lobsters. I had a lot of lobsters, by the way.、Uh, yesterday I had like a two and a three quarter pounds of lobster. I cannot even finish from one meal. I have to split up.、Uh, so going back to this, who decide which schools is Ivy League schools? From what I heard on YouTube and、um, in Canada. There's no such thing called Ivy League school. I know in China there's no such thing called Ivy League schools. I don't know about Europe. I I never heard of in European university these universities are Ivy League. Who who give that name? Okay, I know MIT is not a Ivy League school. I know Stanford is not a Ivy League school. So let me repeat: Who got to decide that? So now I find out it's a very similar practice. Remember, I always go back to this、uh, chart called the moral and the political chart of the inhabited world, where the map itself, the chart itself, define who are civilized, who are half civilized, and who are savages, and who are barbarians. So my question is that. Who got to decide those things? So, in the Harvard and other Ivy League school cases, I want to find out who got to decide. Now, now I learned that、uh, this term called a, it's a de jure claim. De jure means uh, 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 I googled the dictionary. De jure means by right or of right. So who gave Harvard University, University of Pennsylvania, I think uh, uh, Yale University, who gave them that right to claim they are the Ivy League? Is there like an academic god to say, okay, I like these seven or six schools, I'm going to call them Ivy League schools? 
Who got to call them that? Who got to call them that? And and I I I know in the Europe there's a soccer leagues, right? In soccer leagues there's a Premier League. It's like the the, the Class A football teams, soccer teams. And and as a matter of fact, if you do not perform that well, you might be demoted, relegated to a you know an inferior league because you have you you have to have a record. To prove that you are a Premier League worthy team, but apparently not in this so-called Ivy League in America. No, and going back to China, the Chinese are very big on education, as we all know. But right, but guess what? The Chinese tradition and practice of advancement through education is always egalitarian. Dynasty after dynasty, there's no such thing as that. Oh, if you are from a richer family, we're gonna give you a pass to get you to a better school. Never such thing. You can come from a family as poor as the poorest in the whole village, but somehow you your 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 child is so gifted, so talented. Oh, by the way, not to sidetrack. In Chinese education, at least in in a, in in a, in, a, in a common talks, there's a three types of human beings, or three types of students, three classes of students. First class, they don't need a teacher; they just learn all by themselves. Second class. Second group of students, they are not as gifted as the class A, but if you have a good teacher, they learn very quickly. And the third class is that you can give these students the best teacher; they just don't learn that fast. Okay. That has nothing to do with your gene, with your family names, with your donor class, with your wealth, and all that. It has nothing to do with it. You're talented, you're talented. You're gifted, you're gifted. So the practice of education in China actually has always been egalitarian, regardless of what, what dynasty, whether it's communist or not, communist or not. But in only in the U.S., we're going to do that. We're going to do this legacy admission policy. There's no such thing in China called a legacy admission, because it's called a nepotism. Imagine you work for a company. You hope you'll be promoted based on your efforts by your achievements. But guess what? It's a family-owned business. Okay, unless you are a family member. By blood or bad marriage, you will not be promoted. It's called a nepotism. Education is supposed to be the the setter of standard, on morality, on values, right? But that's what Ivy League colleges does. They do shitty things.
Nepotism inherently discriminates on racial basis. Period. Just think about it. I'm just go through your life experience, work experience. I have work experience that tells me there's a nepotism all over the corporate America. Who are the victims? Racial minorities. Trust me. All right. Legacy admission is an incestuous practice. Incestuous practice. What does that mean? Just I'll give you example. When I visited the Franklin, Tennessee, there's a huge battle. The last major battle of the Civil War happened in Tennessee. Okay, a lot of a soldier died there. Okay, they have a this 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 little institute. I forgot it's their name. Is run by a non-for-profit groups. It's not government sponsored because they are more kind of for the Confederacy. Okay, they have you know they have they they show this a bigger mansion, southern mansion, the owner of this southern mansion, and guess what? The owner actually did. Uh, the owner is a lawyer from Virginia, and he married his cousin from Louisiana. So legacy admission policy is an incestuous practice, like the Southerners used to marry their cousins. Why they do that? To keep it in the family, to keep it in the fa- in the Harvard family, to keep the best education opportunity to the family. So the legacy admission policy, by definition. Is a discriminatory policy against all people, all people, regardless of your skin color. And Harvard and other Ivy League schools got to do it. Is that fair? No, it's not. It cannot be fair at all. So, so I just want to, you know, just 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 point it out. Not only Harvard. University has robbed Peter to pay Paul in his so in its affirmative action admission policy. He actually continued to discriminate against all people from less privileged background, and he did it in the name of progress. Isn't that hilarious? So, without Getting too,、uh, you know. Again, I don't mean to, you know, do long thing,、uh, long、uh, episodes. I would love to hear from Vlad, and、uh, I'll just quickly tell you my takeaway because there's a、uh, two YouTube clips. One is by Glenn Laurie and this Asian guy,、uh, a Korean guy, Jay Kang,、uh, Jay Kang. What I、uh, take my takeaway from that YouTube clip. Is two two things from the conversation that Professor Laurie had with、uh, Mr. Kang. First of all, Kang has said he is. By the way, Kang,、uh, as a writer for New Yorker, he followed the Harvard admission case since the very beginning. I did it too. It's a. It took nine years. It, it happened in 2014, I think. And he he made a comment. It, it's it's a long. It took a long long time to litigate this. This discriminatory practice got to 
lasts for nine years. That itself is a injustice. Okay, Kang also observed, which I mentioned, there is a lack of outrage by the progressive left on the Scotus decision as it compares to Dobbs' decision. Because almost everybody knew Harvard admission, these Ivy League admission, these are the institution of a white privilege. I'll tell you that. Okay? I'll tell you that. They know this so-called affirmative action in these college admissions, they are a freaking fraud all by itself. Okay? Is these Ivy League schools somehow could uh, establish themselves as like the leader in the progressive cause? They're not. I'm pretty sure Harvard University is the university who come out with the napalm bombs, by the way. Okay? So, so th th they're not. They can pretend to be progressive. They're not. They're just as evil as a white supremacist in my book. The second takeaway from this conversation between Professor Laurie and the, Mr. Khan is this, which I find out to be hilarious. Because uh, Khan did a lot of uh, writing and research uh, on this thing. And Glenn Laurie also did that. They have concluded this. The affirmative action policy by Ivy Leagues, including Harvard University, University actually benefited the racial minority applicants from privileged background. The admitted uh, uh, applicants are not some people from the ghettos, not people from the Bronx, not people from West Philadelphia, south side of Chicago. They actually, the, the people who benefit the most are the racial minorities who has a privileged background. People who are, whose parents are doctors, professors, prominent people, or they have white parents. I think they use the example Obama, Barack Obama, is not your ghetto applicants. Applicant Obama is from an African father, a white mother. <laughs> okay, Obama benefited from the Harvard admission policy, <laughs> but he's not your applicants from ghetto. You would think the affirmative action really should be intended to help those who are descendants of slaves who grew up in a Poor neighborhood, disadvantaged background. No, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. I find that to be interest, interesting to learn from from them. Another YouTube clip is from Glenn Laurie, John McWhorter, and Peter Archidiagono. Peter Archidiagono is the one who presented a lot of statistics against Harvard admission policy. Okay? Now, I actually don't go to the stats first. I did a episode on Sunday. It's called The Horse and the Carts. What's the horse and what's the cart in this controversy? I have said already, to me, 
I cut to the chase. I make it plain. The Harvard admission policy, the affirmative action one, that require Asian applicants to go through some kind of personality tests and all that shit, is robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's the name of the game. That's called structural racism, a racist structure, meaning that the white privilegist in Harvard set up this policy. It's a structure. It's a game. It's a rule they set up. That's the horse. It's a structural racism. What's the card? The cart is behind the horse. The horse will cause the cart to move. What's the cart here? The cart are the statistics that Mr. Peter Archdiagonal come out with. I, when I was following this case closely back in 2014, I think a female judge in Boston, in the federal court. Heard the original case and dismissed the case. This judge wrote like 100 or 200 pages of a decision. Side she cited with the Harvard University. Okay, I remember in her decision, it's so long. She put out I would say probably over 50 percent of pages. She used those pages with the statistics. She used those statistics in support of the Harvard affirmative action admission policy. When I was reading, this, what the fuck? I was like, cut to the chase. This is a game of robbing Peter to pay Paul. Address that first. Don't go to the statistics. Okay, that's what she did. It's a complete waste of time. Two, it's a long, 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 very long decision. But I'm glad Mr. Peter Archdiagonal come out with the opposing numbers, numbers showing the opposite. But to me, it doesn't matter. It's a structural racial preference first. When you have a policy, when you make a law to discriminate. Then there will be consequences. There will be outcomes. There will be numbers showing that what you do is a discrimination. So I don't have a need to go to read those numbers. It's a waste of time. I cut to the chase. It's a horse. The horse is let's rob the Asian Americans to accommodate more African American applicants. As simple as that. You know, I don't go to the stats first. You know why? Because when I was in Franklin, Tennessee, again, the curators in that pro-Confederacy museum, they use some statistics. They have said actually a lot of slaves are treated well by the slave owners. They said, look. Slaves are like animals, like cows, like horses. 
you have to be nice to them. You know, we give them, you know, we take good care of them, medical care, food, housing, teaching them a job skill. That, 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 that's the statistics. But the horse in the whole thing is, are these people human? Should they be treated equally? That's the first question you want to ask. So it's the same thing here. Harvard admission policy. This practice of robbing Peter to pay Paul. What did Peter do to Paul? So that you, John, the white guy, can rob Peter to pay Paul. No reason whatsoever. So that in a nutshell, what I want to talk about. And I think this will be the last one I want to do for the Harvard admission. I am glad the feds are looking into this legacy admission policy. To me, it's a fraudulent, it's a incestuous. It's a marrying your cousin kind of practice. As simple as that. You will think Harvard will know better. No, they don't. So, so that in a nutshell is what I want to talk about. And, uh, uh, hey, Glad, uh, hey, hey, Vlad. What's going on? No, but I was going to tell you, all these IVs, uh, uh, we are having audio issues, Vlad. Vlad, we are having audio issues. Can you bring me up that I don't think that's gonna to want to talk? Or take over for five minutes. I'll leave it. Dead zone. Go, uh, just, just speak slowly. Speak slowly. No, can you can you hear me? Can you hear me a little bit better? Yes. Am absolutely. I okay now? Yes. Okay, so basically all these all these Ivy League they started out white, they started out Christian, and they started out for the very... Just slow down. You're in and out. You're in and out. Not everybody was elite. No, still, you're still in and out. No, Vela, I totally uh, lose, lose you. Again, going back to this uh, dicky Mr. Whitey privilege thing, like I said earlier, you actually, you know, Dickie himself, I don't think he qualified to be called a white privileges. Not at all. He's so ordinary. He's so six, uh, Joe six pack. Again, there's nothing wrong to be a Joe six pack, a average American. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. But using this Harvard University as an example, I just want to show you guys. Look, you actually have to be very special to be a white privileges. You actually have to be way above average IQ, well endowed in your physiques and your brain, well endowed in your bank account, well endowed in your education to be a white privileges. Okay, so Vlad, go ahead if you want to talk, because I cannot hear you at all. Is it better or worse? Yeah, now it's better. 
No, right? Yeah. Go go ahead. So basically, these these, these white folks you're talking is not, not your is not your everyday American. It was mostly I did not get all your questions of white of white people coming from Europe. All these schools mostly started in white America. As it was taking over the United States, it has to it had to start its own school system. They weren't gonna be sending their children abroad to Europe. So all these schools obviously were going to favor their own kind, if you know what I mean. Their own kind. There is that. There was a white privilege in that. And there has been practices. I'm glad you agree with yeah. me. Yeah, you agree yeah. there's a East, right? Because Harvard yeah. is the highest institution of white privilege. It's the mm-hmm. best example. They got to but, set but, this policy. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. But the same thing you have to understand, Peter, is that the door has been opened to, to high middle class and above to people of all races. I mean, I've seen Latinos going to Harvard or blacks, and they're not your average black. They're not your ghetto black. They're not black hoodlums. These are people that, that had good education, whose parents are professional, and yep. who send off their children to schools that they attended. Yep. That yep, they yep. attended. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so may I suggest you say privilege across the board, not just white privilege. It's, it's the privileged. White, brown, black, Asian, the privileged. No, and you understand uh, no, that? You gotta, no, no, you got it wrong. So let, 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 let me respond to that. For Harvard to set a policy to discriminate one group of people to compensate another, who, who, who gave them that privilege to do that? It's called the de jure claim, or as of rights. They just believe they... I did a episode called The White Ethicist. It's always the white people believe they are in a higher moral ground. They have a higher morality. I just happen to disagree. I actually don't think that happened. That that is the case. I, I have said earlier. I find out fascinating that for some reason in China, throughout all dynasties, including uh-huh. including today, the educational avan- <coughs> advancement in any little group is totally egalitarian. You are completely e- given the equal opportunity to advance. If you are gifted, you are there. If you're not, sorry. Your score is not good enough. You know, it's almost like let's have an NBA where Asians, uh, you know, can score differently. If an Asian put a basketball into a basket, he scores five points. How's that? My question is, who got to decide that rules? Let me, let me answer that. Peter, let me ask, and let me, let me answer that. They have an endowment program filled, a fund that is filled by corporatists of the white ruling class. And not only them, it's anybody that, that's why they're able to have a legacy program. Because if those companies whose board members, whose employees are in high ranking position are mostly from Harvard, guess who they're going to favor? The children of those of those workers, employees, managers who are from Harvard. That's how it works. If you scratch my back, I scratch your doggy dog bro kind of thing. But yeah. you know what? It's easy for the, us, but it's not easy for everybody else. Has to fight for the crumbs if they want to come in. 
So the ones that come in, usually because those corporations, mega corporations, they pay for them. To them, it's nothing when they throw millions of dollars at them and they get the top talent. And then they have an arrangement. Well, you know what I did for you? Uh, are you going to be able to have my, my daughter and son come? Well, no problem, Mr. Jones. No problem. You send your boy and girl right here in the, in the right time. We have their room. We'll be building. Uh, our new building will be ready for them. They'll be the first ones to be there. Away from the rest of the population. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're gonna have the the privilege, and they'll be in the in the in the same in the same fraternity and, and sorority. Don't you worry about it. You're you're taken care of. Okay, we have a seat, and we have his clothes ready. We have seats, classes. Teachers know about him. They're expecting him on this date when he comes out of high school, and and that is not a problem. You see that they get a, a step ahead in that sense. So yeah. yeah, there is privilege, but I I want I want you to let you know it happens everywhere around the world. Believe it or not. Even China has. No, like right? I said, you're not listening. I've said, China as a tradition, it's an education tradition, whether it's a capitalist society or communist or a, a feudalist, back to the thousands of years ago, it has always been egalitarian. I've said it repeatedly, you are not taking it in. It's always egalitarian. You are totally based on your school. So, so a second is this, the links I posted on the description of the room has a lot of content. You can go ahead and go through that yourself. My my focus is not on the educational piece of it, how the school is operated. How, uh, like for example, uh, John McWhorter has mentioned that he actually met a legacy student, a student admitted through his family ties is actually not that good. A white student. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm not being, I, I, that's not my focus on what I'm trying to say is this. My focus is always this. Who got to decide these schools are Ivy League? Do they just self claim that we are Ivy League? Then we are Ivy League. There's no such thing called Ivy League school in Canada. No such thing in Europe. No such thing in China. Okay. First thing. Second is that who got, who give them the rights? To set up that policy of a robbing Peter to pay Paul. This is my question. Nobody. Some Nobody. some of these things, uh, the 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 are self evident. They gave it to themselves. They didn't have to ask anybody. They're yeah, in a league exactly. of their own. They started. They started on their yeah. own. And who controlled them other than the people that owned them and yeah. supported them? So yeah. the government actually they favored the government mm -hmm. because a lot of government personnel over time, whether presidents or secretaries of state or people in the cabinet or Congress, they're all Ivy Leaguers. And yeah. they usually work together. They're all brothers. Yeah. Let, all let, Ivy Leaguers is the only Ivy Leaguers club that you and I do not belong with. It almost sounds like what George Carlin said. There, there's a club and guess what? You and I are, are not in it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad. So, so let me repeat. I have said in China, I've said it for real. That it is strictly by your score in the national college entrance exam. Who else does it? South Korea. Okay. These are the tradition of thousands of years. It does not matter how much money your parents make. You go into that room, you go to a national, uh, college entrance exam, 
Everybody use the same fucking paper, same questions. All depends on how you answer them, how you score. And you get into different colleges you choose. It has nothing to do with how much money you, you donated. Okay. So, I also wanted to tell you, for, in regards to Canada, you have to be very careful. Because, you know, they have, I think, McGill University, University of Toronto, all those schools, right? Very popular. Good school, by the way. But they also, too, have the preferential system. It's a white man's game. What are you talking about? You're only what? playing in it. It's their game. As long as it's their country, you're playing in it. If they let you play, be, you know, be nice about it. If they let you come in no, and play no, in no. there, no. it's their okay. game. Okay. And guess what? No, 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 I reject your Think claim. about it. It's a their country. Let me repeat it. Relax. Uh, the history of America, this land, is not 250 years. This land used to be brown. There is been a whitening of this land by European immigrants. Now there's a browning of this land by immigrants from non-European countries. Okay? So... When we talk about history, don't limit yourself. Say, oh, these are, their, these are these white man's country. No, it's not. We all come from somewhere. Okay? I respect the founding fathers, knowing they are white nationalists. But they have acknowledged, they have defined, all of us are individual sovereign entities. Okay? So don't shortchange yourself. So... So Vilat, with that, I think I'm going to take a Mar 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 Marco, okay? Vilat, uh, I'll just invite you as a speaker, okay? Because I don't, I, I want to hear from others. So let me take uh, Marco. Hey, Marco, how are you? Hey, Peter, how are you doing? Not too bad. I'm going to sneak into Canada 5.30 tomorrow morning on a bicycle. <laughs> that sounds fun. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I wanted to push back with you a bit on the way you're describing white privilege. Um, Go ahead. You're talking about, like, Dickey and how he's, like, a Joe Sixpack kind of guy. And I understand what you mean. You know, he's not he's not privileged in the same way as somebody like Elon Musk is, you know. But uh, he's, uh, you know, people like Dickey definitely still have white privilege, you know, like... Um, White, but, white but Marco, white Marco, my man, isn't just interpersonal. Uh, Vlad, I would love to get your feedback. I just want to get my idea out. Um, ra racism and is is not just interpersonal; it's also institutional. So, like the racism I've suffered in my life, very little of it has been personal. Like I've had a few shitty white guys say racist things to me, and in that moment, I might have felt a little scared or a little bit intimidated. But, like, I suffered way more from institutional racism. Like, when I was a child in Los Angeles, they put an oil refinery right next to my apartment complex because the racist white, pe white people, of, of white Democrats of Los Angeles were, like, taking kickbacks from the oil companies to put the oil refineries in a place where it would poison brown and black people. And so as a result, you know, I had asthma as a child. I was hospitalized for a week, for a few weeks when I was young because I was dying. Um, and, you know, who paid that medical bill? My brown parents, not the white people who inflicted that damage to me for their profits. 
and not the white people who let those white people do that to my people in government, right? So like, like that was way worse for me than those white guys who said those shitty things to me over the years. And you know, um, so like white privilege is like a spectrum, you know, like Dickie is white privileged, but he's not rich privileged. Uh, you can be white and have white privilege, but you're a woman, so you still experience sexism. Uh, you know, myself, I'm a, I'm coming from indigenous Mexican family, but I often pass as white. And so I have a little bit of white privilege, even though I'm not white. So like, I think that framing it and understanding it in this way as more institutional is important because so many people want to talk about it as an interpersonal thing. And it's not really about that. So I'm done. You go that Vlad, Peter, you go. Well, so, uh, I, I will let you jump, jumping. Uh, just let, let, let me respond to Marco first. I have said that I started uh, looking into this word, white privilege, by communicating with the, the woman, Peggy McIntosh. She's a professor at uh, one of the Wesleyan College in Massachusetts. She, uh, com she came up with this uh, word, white privilege, back in the 80s. She is treating this word as a interpersonal behavioral and a social uh, phenomenon. So when I communicate with her, I said, I kind of disagree with you, professor, because I felt it's a more of a legal cons construct, a more of a governmental privilege. Because uh, people will behave this way only because they know the government supports as such. So, you know, she and I had a lot of back and forth. And I actually, my last communication with her uh, is apology to her because she got upset. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so, so yeah, to me, my focus at least is whether the government must be egalitarian or not. To me, it has to be in a multi-ethnic society. That's where we're at. You know, like I said earlier, this land, this society used to be a brown society. Well, that's the thing, Peter, is that this is a, a white supremacist imperial nation that but, but I hope had no problem genociding the indigenous people. But no, we, 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 can, we can still make a meaningful change, in my opinion. So, so now let's talk, uh, hear from Vlad. Go ahead. There's truth to everything you're saying. I agree with you and Marco. The only problem that you're understanding, uh, that you have to understand, Peter, is that America did not come because of indigenous. The indigenous got robbed. We could agree, right? But this is a European system that evolved by white men that took over the United States, Latin America. The list goes on. You already know the conquest and all that. So these are their systems, Okay. It is one that is born and raised here, hopefully, understands these systems. And then the immigrant, as yourself, you come in, learn the language and all that. You, you know, adapt, amalgamate, identify, all that stuff. So these are these systems. If I go to China, it will be their system. I have to be respective of their system, how they are, and have to learn their language. If I go to France, the same thing. If I go to Portugal, same thing, or any other country in Africa. I have to learn their ways, how they work. Including in education. I mean, if I'm among them, I'm not going to change things. I got to abide by them. So there might be a, a supremacist, but guess what? I decided to go to their country. Am I going to call them on and say, oh, you're a supremacist. What the hell are you doing? In our case, as Mexicans, we were robbed of our land. 
It was truly what you were saying earlier, robbing who to give to Peter, robbing John to give to Peter. That's what happened with us, not with the Ivy League school, with our country. Even Marco will agree with you. They took our land, and nobody's talking about giving it back to Mexico, right? That's really robbing John to give to Jerry. Okay, I'm gonna sound like a leftist right here. Sorry, I don't want to sound. Like <laughs> but yeah, there, there's a lot of truth to that. And I don't see anybody. I don't see black people with the reparations or white leftists fighting for Mexican reparations of getting our country back. California belongs to to, to Mexico. Texas belongs to Mexico, and there's like nine states total. Oh, they took almost half to Mexico. I think, I think the, I, well, Brad, I'm one of those Mexicans. You know, when I was growing up in LA, you know, we called it Occupy LA. And we talked about how we were going to take it back someday, you know. Well, like, actually, a joke, you know. But no, I mean, no, actually, this is a good joke. Actually, it's on the Stephen Colbert show. Uh, I, I want to share this with you guys. Uh, two Mexicans. I did not know Marco. You, you, you have a Mexico heritage. So first of all, to said uh, to answer what Vela had brought up, I do this uh, geopolitics is ethnopolitics show for the exact reason that what Vela had just br brought up. That's these are the international conflicts. I believe I believe belongs to that 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 series. Okay, now coming back to about the California is taken away from Mexico by the U.S. and all that, right? I actually was a big fan of Stephen Colbert's Colbert Report back then when he was in uh, uh, Com Comedy Central because I believe he was very good in inviting very provocative authors and commentators on his show so one of the get his guests is a, a hispanic person from mexico he said see uh the u.s took uh california robbed uh, uh california away from mexico now with all the immigrants from mexico we are taking california back I was laughing my ass off. I was like, that's so true. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, in a sense, you're correct, Vlad and Marco, you're both, that uh, historically, probably California is uh, taken unjustifiably by the by the U.S., you know, the Monroe, Doct Monroe Doctrine, whatever it is, right? And uh, Imperialism, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Are you but, familiar uh, with the history of Texas on this subject? Yeah, a little bit. So, but yeah. uh, you know, Marco, if you uh, follow me close uh, closer, you actually know, uh, you will know what I've said recently about the immigration issue in the southern border. I've said, thanks to the Monroe Doctrine, we have U.S. have uh, interfered with the South American countries. We have uh, made a negative impact to their economy to their people's livelihood. We did not respect their national borders. We did not respect their national sovereignty, economic sovereignty. The United Therefore, States these people committing war crimes in 1776, yeah. literally. Yeah. When, that, yeah. when those first 13 colonies started, every other piece they've taken is a colony. It's a place they've conquered, murdered to, to take. Now we are now we are facing all these migrants coming in. Who can blame them? Morally and legally, no they should be allowed to come in. land, right? I mean, it's it's yeah, exactly, know. exactly. But think about it: the Russell both Peter. parties are just using the border crisis as a, a their political uh, talking point, right? 
they don't go back and say, well, we probably need to re-examine our foreign policies. We, we probably should focus on paying back to these colored nations and colored people overseas. But we don't. You know, so, yeah. No, so I'm glad I can convert Vlad a little bit last towards week, Vlad. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you just had last week, uh, Emmanuel Macron was saying, we're sorry to, for what we did to the French colony. Don't tell me I'm sorry, motherfucker. Pay yeah. <laughs> you really, you really raped the people there. Exactly. You destroyed their land. You destroyed their way of life. Pay up. Mm-hmm. I don't hear Belgium coming up to the Congolese and saying, this is what our damn King Leopold did to you, sh- to your shit. We're going to start paying for the next hundred years. All I hear is, oh, I'm sorry. Really? Wow. Sorry's going to cut it? You know why they're saying sorry? It's because the African nations are getting close to Russia. And they're, they're basically sticking the middle finger to all these European countries and the U.S. That's yeah. why. Yes, great, great point. So uh, I'm glad Rudy's here uh, again. Welcome you all, okay? Because I am going to reach out to Alexei, who is uh, whose family is from Russia. So I will I will share with these guys. When French wants to come back to reconquer Indochina, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos, they beg the United States to send troops, boots on the ground in Vietnam in the 1950s. 1954, 1953, 1954. Eisenhower is very strict. He said, we, the U.S., just coming out of the Second World War, defeating Nazis, we don't now, let's talk about Niger. Obama is the president who sent the boots, U.S. boots on the ground to help the French in Niger. Now, if that's the case, that proves my point. Obama is a product of Harvard University, the highest institute of white privilege. Stop. He did to Niger, if that's true, that if he's the one who sent 800 U.S. advisors or trainers, or whatever it is, the boots on the ground, into Niger to help the French, it's exactly what Eisenhower refused to do. Just think about that. Well, you know, think Obama's mother was a CIA, was associated with the CIA. She was either an agent or an asset. But she, yeah. she's, she's CIA. Like Obama, everybody who's president in the modern era is associated with the CIA. Yeah. So actually, I'm glad that Vlad, I can convince you on the international perspective that how, you know, the brown nations, how the lily white nations treated the brown nations. You know, like I said, I consider America is a brown nation to start with. It was whitened, and now it's being browned. No, but however, my focus is not on the color of your skin. My question is always, do we need a egalitarian government to make a multi-ethnic society prosperous and mostly peaceful? 
So, so that is, you know, so, well, I'm glad that, you know, you have a, you, you are switching a little bit towards the left. Okay. I think I'm in the debt in the middle. So that's, you know. Socialists of the and, world unite. That's what you want to hear, huh? Socialists of the world unite. No, no. That's I what you want to hear. I know that's what you want to hear. Well, uh, you know, Vlad, that, I that, love I'm hearing really, you I, say I, that. I really did. I, I, I upset the Drew tremendously the other day because <laughs> he's talking about Marxist, Marxism. Uh, I, I chimed in and he, he got so upset. Uh, again, no disrespect. You know, I'll be happy to, 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 uh, attack your ideas merc mercilessly, but I will never attack you as a person. Trust me on that. And, uh, so any, uh, any other comments, questions? If not, uh, okay, yeah, I will try to call Bernie Sanders' office tomorrow at one o'clock. I collect a lot more stories about the moose. And, uh, so after I cross into Canada and returned, I'll try to call Bernie Sanders' office for, at one o'clock, uh, tomorrow. As, as a matter of fact, I'm going to draft up my calling script. What I'm going to say, yada, 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 before I call. So I'm going to just, you know, record all, all those things. So hopefully you guys can join me then. And, uh, and, uh, anything else, uh, guys, you want to say? If nothing else, I will wish all of you have a great evening and, uh, hopefully we'll talk tomorrow. Good night, everyone.